Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. And the journey continues. Proverbs chapter number 3. And uh, we pick up tonight in verse number 9. When I introduce this chapter, perhaps you will remember, I, I don't know, I, I really don't know why you even should, but it might be that uh, you would remember that I said this section, verses 9 through 12, has to do with terms that bring blessings, terms that bring blessings. And when we look at this, at first glance, uh, well, it, it just doesn't seem that way. Uh, because as you're going to see, the two subjects that he deals with are really strange bedfellows, as the old saying goes. Solomon uses two examples drawn from, from, from two things that most people dislike, uh, giving and grief. Giving and grief. Those are the subjects under discussion, and those are the, well... I don't know, you might be able to call them blessings in disguise. And um, the fact is a lot of people resent those two things. It shouldn't surprise us because I think that most of us are prone to desire least what we need the most. I think that's true in just about every area of our life. The things we need the most, we desire the least. Uh, it's so easy to get occupied with a thousand and one other things and to not have any desire for the things that that are most important. And we see that all the time. We get so wrapped up, caught up in things that, that in and of themselves are not sinful. And that's why I uh, continually say, you know, uh, sinless things can become sinful. And whenever our affections are diverted away from the things that are of most importance, why, something's wrong. And uh, so, uh, human nature, uh, and that, that's what it is when we, when we don't want what we need the most, that, that's human nature. But human nature is what's wrong. That's exactly what the problem is. And even for those that have been saved, and we have now a new nature, but we still have the vestiges, that is, the leftovers, as it were. I don't know how else to describe it, the vestiges of our old nature. And Paul talked a lot about that, and especially in Romans chapter number 7. Uh, but until we receive a new nature, in other words, until we have truly been born again, uh, we don't really value the things that are highly esteemed in the sight of God. So, with, with all of that in mind, let's consider these two things. Uh, you can call them blessings in disguise or twin blessings or uh, terms that bring blessings or whatever. But verse number 9 and 10 speaks about giving. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now notice there is a principle and a promise here. And notice here in verse number 9 what the principle is. And, and it's important that, because if you miss this, if you miss this, then you're not going to have much of a desire uh, for, 
before giving. So this is the important thing here, and that is that we are to honor the Lord. That's the motivation for what we do, honor the Lord. So he tells us what to do, and he tells us how to do it. So we have the motivation is to honor the Lord, the manner. How do we do that? Well, one way is with our substance and with the first fruits of all of our increase. Honoring God ought to be, uh, ought to be at the very top of our to-do list. And we see that in the model prayer. For example, I think, you know, whenever the Lord uh, taught his disciples how to pray, uh, he says, uh, hallowed be thy name. And in other words, we need to learn before we do anything else to attribute to God the holiness and the reverence that he deserves. And, and we need to keep that in mind because most of the time we jump what? Right to the getting part. Lord, I need this. I, you know, I need that. And it's all about getting from God rather than giving God the glory, you know, that, that, that he's deserving of. So our whole life should be about giving our best to the one who is best. Giving our best to the one who is best. And when we talk about our very purpose in life is to, is to glorify God. And that's how we do it. We give our best to the one that is deserving of our best. And then notice he, he gets specific here by giving the manner in which we do this with thy substance. Now, you know, that's the stuff you got, your substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Now, I think all professing Christians would agree that we ought to honor the Lord. If I took a vote here tonight and said, how many of you believe we ought to honor the Lord? You know, I think everybody would would agree to that. that I mean, that's a no-brainer. But the fact of the matter is, few people choose this particular way to do it. You know, they don't mind honoring the Lord. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if it said here, honor the Lord by by singing sweetly. Oh, yeah, that, you know, yeah, we ought to do that. Or if it said, honor the Lord by shouting loudly. And by the way, I believe in singing sweetly and shouting loudly. I mean, I'm not being critical of that. But I'm saying there are a lot of folks that will sing sweetly and shout loudly and, and numerous other things. Maybe, maybe even a limited amount of giving and all of that would be just fine with them. But the very suggestion that we give as required here sires the subject for most people because they look at it as a problem or, or think of it as a pain rather than a privilege. And so he's telling us here that we are to honor the Lord with our substance, with the first fruit of our increase. And so notice this, this is not just a command to, to give, but to give the first fruits of all of thine increase. Every Jew understood exactly what that meant. They understood the law of the first fruits. That related to, to the acknowledgement of the fact that they had been redeemed from Egyptian bondage. And the very mention of that caused them to, to, you know, to look back and to think about what God had done for them. You'll remember the children of Israel when they, when they got themselves in trouble. 
Yeah, think about Joshua, for example, whenever they enter into the land, and, and uh, you, surely you remember the story how before they got to Jericho, the little city of Ai there, I mean, you know, my, that's no obstacle at all. We don't need to send the whole army up there or anything. That's not a big deal. We'll just knock their ears down and march on, and this is going to be easy. And you remember the story of what happened is God had instructed them not only to destroy the city, but don't take anything. Don't take anything. Why? Well, because, because that was the first fruits, and they were to leave that alone, and uh, consequently they, they ignored what God told them to do, and, and uh, Achan took something that didn't belong to him, belonged to God, Right? And got in trouble. You, you go all the way to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and you remember that he rebukes them for giving less than their best. And, and of course, there were certain uh, requirements whenever it came to, uh, to the sacrifices that were to be offered. And no, notice, these people had not denied God, or they had not denounced God as though he were inferior to other gods or anything like that at all. They, they continued to worship God, at least in their mind, but they gave God the leftovers. And you'll remember that Malachi said, you take that to the governor and see if he would be pleased. And, uh, of course, the answer is, is no. And so here they've got, you know, some some, let's say it's a, uh, an, an old sheep, and it's maybe already been wounded with the wolves. It's going to die anyway, and, and they reason in their mind. There's no reason to give him a, you know, one of the first year that's without spot and without blemish. Uh, this other old sheep's going to die anyway. What difference does it make? Well, it made a big difference because that was typical of the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and so. In giving God less than their best, it cost them dearly because God just rejected everything they did by way of worship. He called their music noise. Now, it might have been right on key. It might have, you know, uh, might have, you know, won, won a prize, and, you know, if there had been talent shows back then. But God said, just a bunch of noise to me. Uh, it didn't mean anything to God. Why? simply because it was less than their best. So we need to understand that when he talks about giving the first fruits, you know, you hear people say, well, you know, I, I, I intend to give God something if I've got anything left over. Well, you probably won't. You probably won't. Because if you're just giving God the leftovers of your life, God's not going to bless that. We're to give God the first fruits of all that we have and... Um, and by the way, it doesn't say that we shouldn't ever give more. You know, sometimes, well, I gave God the first fruits, you know, and, uh, you know, I, t- I tithed on that. I mean, that's, that, that, that's good enough. I don't need to give any more than that. And, uh, and by the way, it doesn't even mean that we shouldn't give maybe in other ways. Because, you know, you talk about the almsgiving, for example, in the Bible, and, and that was different than the, the tithe. And, and, and by the way, we have a responsibility as Christians to, to do what? Well, to take care of the poor and the needy, and especially the man, the Bible says, if a man doesn't provide for his own household, he's worse than an infidel. So we've got some responsibilities. And uh, certainly we all, now think about this, all of us 
ought to give God the first fruits and ought to give God at least 10%, but that ought to be the starting place. Now, remember, we're talking about the requirement for the Jews under the Old Covenant, and think about how much more blessed we are, you know, and our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ and surely we shouldn't, you know, be reluctant to give God what He demands. In fact, you know, how can we refuse to give to God when He gave all for us? When He gave the very best that heaven had to offer, how can we turn around and be so unthankful as to take what we've got and to spend on ourselves that which belongs to God? We don't have a right to use that as we please. Well, you say, well, I sure don't. I make sure I give God that 10% and, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I do that and now I've got the rest of the money to do what I want with. Really? Uh, understand this, folks. Every penny you've got, everything you possess belongs to God. All of it. We are stewards. We are not owners. It is not ours to take with and to do with as we are. There's been some years that Bev and I gave twice as much to, and I'll not be specific, twice as much to other things as we, as we gave in our tithes to the church. And, and I'm not saying that to brag on it. I'm saying that for a very important reason. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back thinking, well, you know, after all, I tithe and that's all I need to give. That's baloney. That's baloney. There are a lot of times that we need, we need to reach out and, and go even further than that. Now, now let's look at verse number 10. In verse number 10, we see the promise. We see the principle and the motivation and the manner in which this principle is carried out. But the promise is given in verse 10. So, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now, you could call this the compensation of charity. Or maybe a better title would be the gift of giving. Because we, look, we, we generally don't think about uh, receiving a gift because we gave something, but whatever you want to call it, you know, really doesn't matter. It really ought to be of interest to us. Uh, think about it. You know, were I an expert in investments, which I'm not, and, uh, and I stood up here tonight and I told you, look, I have a surefire way that you can take what you've got, make some inv- investments, and it will pay off tenfold, and in just a matter of a couple of years, you'll probably be able to retire and, you know, live down on the lake or wherever you want to live. Boy, just about everybody would be interested in that. I mean, there are people that sit, you know, glued to the television set every week, and they're watching all of these shows about how to get rich and how to make all of the in, these investments and so on and so forth. And, and most people would be interested in that. But let me tell you, what we're talking about here tonight is, 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 is ten times more important than that. I mean, there is no comparison. But I don't want to mislead you. I don't want to leave the impression... Uh, that 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 God is going to be obligated just because you gave. Because if you give just to get, you lose. If that's the only reason you give is so you'll get. You say, well, who would do that? A lot of people. I know people that's done that. 
They just did not understand the, the biblical principle of giving and that motive matters to God. And they gave with the intent, well, if I give, God will bless me and I'll have more. And so if you're giving just because it pays, it won't pay. God is very concerned about our motives in what we do. And, uh, and you could say this is a reward that's out of this world. You give me of your substance and the first fruits of all of your increase. If you'll do that, he says, I'll fill your barns with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. You know, whenever we consider that we devote one month every year to the subject of stewardship, the month of January, and, and all of our Sunday school lessons are geared. I have actually five. I think now we're just using four uh, series and each series is made up of five lessons, so that if we have five Sundays that we can cover that. Uh, but e- e- each one has five lessons, and so it rotates every year. We, you know, every four years, rather, we go back to that one. And so we've been doing this now for years and years. And, and what I'm saying is there's no reason for any of us to not understand our responsibility as servants of the Lord. There's no reason whatsoever. But the fact of the matter is uh, a lot of folks evidently don't get it. You know, they just, they just don't get it. Uh, and it's not about us getting, it's, you know, and, and, and by the way, it's, it's not a matter of legalism that, oh, wow, I've got to do this in order to make God happy, you know. Well, God's plenty happy regardless of what you do, by the way. I, I mean, and think about what a privilege this is. What are you going to give to God who ha- owns everything? What do you give Him? You, just, you give him what he requires. That Look, God's not doing that for his sake. He's doing it for your sake. And so whenever God says give, God doesn't need your money in that sense. I mean, God could cause gold to grow on trees. Every leaf that fell from the tree could be made out of gold if he wanted to do that, but he doesn't. And so God has a plan, and that plan is perfect, and that plan involves you and I being good stewards of what he gives us. Now, we come to the second part of this, and it might, it really might even be more disagreeable to some people than the first subject, and that's the subject of grief. He says, my son, verse 11, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, and neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. So we have a change of subject now from prosperity to pain, from contribution to chastisement. And whenever I sat in my office and I thought about this, it's as though that he wants us to view life from both extremes. He wants us to consider, you know, the good and the bad as it were. By the way, there's much more wisdom in this than what you might think. Now, think with me. If if church members are going to disobey God anywhere, you know where it will usually be? In regards to giving. They'll quit going to the bars and the honky-tonks, you know. God tells us, you know, that, you know, we ought not do certain things. Yeah, quit that. No more. No, that's, that's out of my life. And God says, do this, and God says, do that. Fine. We agree with that. 
But God says, give of your substance and the first fruit of all of your increase. And for some reason or another, a lot of people balk at that. So I think it's, I think there's a good reason why these two subjects are dovetailed together, as it were. Uh, on one hand, you have giving, and the other hand is grief. And let me tell you, our disobedience to God will always bring us grief. I mean, if we're saved, if we're truly God's children, and we refuse to do what God tells us to do, it's going to bring grief. Turn over to Hebrews chapter number 12, and I know that you're familiar with these verses. And, and by the way, these verses is based on the very uh, verses that we're reading here tonight. But in Hebrews 12, let's pick up in verse number 5, I think. He says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you, as unto children, my son, despise not. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Don't forget that. Every, every one of his children gets it sooner or later. You know what it tells me? It doesn't tell me that God is angry or unfair. It tells me that we all deserve it. That's exactly what it tells me because we're all going to get it. And he says, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? <laughs> Boy, now, nowadays in this day and age that we live in, you know, we could say, well, a lot. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, there you go again, then are ye bastards, you're illegitimate, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Well, I wish I had time to talk about that. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Earthly parents do things like that. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward. I love that. Afterward. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, let's go back to our text. Now, I want you to notice two things here. And it's very obvious from what we've just read that, that Paul, at least I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. You can believe whatever you want. But uh, it's obvious that it's based on these scriptures that we're reading tonight. And I want you to notice the plea that he makes in verse number 11. He makes a plea, and then in verse number 12, he reveals the purpose of it. So first the plea, verse 11, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, and neither be weary of his correction. Now, before we go on, I want you to understand that just as no decent parent takes delight in spanking their children, God does not take pleasure in chastising his children. He always does it out of love, and he always does it for our good. 
I was writing an article today, and I don't know whether I'll ever finish it or not. I got a stack of stuff that high of unfinished articles, and after a while, I just throw them away and 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 start others. But but it kind of had to do with this, and and I made a statement that I have absolutely no respect for the father that takes pleasure in spanking his kids. I, I have no respect for a man like that. I have even less respect for the preacher that takes delight in using the pulpit as a whipping post to belittle and to embarrass and to basically hurt other people. I have no respect for a preacher like that. Any preacher that just loves to get up there and get them told, I, I tell you, you ought, to, ought to resign and do something honest. Because he's not being honest to have that kind of an attitude and be a shepherd over God's people. Now, listen, do preachers, pastors, do we have to preach against sin? Absolutely we do. But not because we enjoy doing it. We have to, or we ought to spank our children, but we don't enjoy doing it. Let me tell you, God's a whole lot better shepherd or a whole lot better parent than any of us. And you mark it down. It, it's not something that delights the heart of God. Oh, goody, goody, you know, I'm going to spank the daylights out of them. So please understand that. It's always out of love. It's always for our good. Now, knowing that we are prone to misunderstand, knowing how easy it is for us to get discouraged, notice the plea that he makes. It's twofold. He says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Well, the word chastening simply means correcting. The correcting of the Lord, that's important because when a lot of people think of chastisement, they think about punishment rather than correction. And, and so it's not God punishing you as we think of punishment today. Somebody says, oh boy, I got out of the will of God and he really punished me. Well, you're looking at it the wrong way. What God was doing was correcting you. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, uh, when God does that, He's doing it for our good. And by the way, that's an evidence of His goodness. And because of that, we ought not to despise it. And so many times we see people that will get bitter instead of better. And in doing so, what happens? They make matters worse because they are indicating uh, in their mind God is being unfair. They're treating me, you know, God's treating me in a way that I don't deserve. I deserve better than this. And so they despise the chastening of the Lord. It's like like saying, God doesn't really know how he ought to be treating me. You, you realize how foolish it is to despise anything that God does? That's like saying, he made a mistake and I don't like it. God doesn't make any mistakes. If, if something happens in my life, God either, number one, causes it, or number two, allows it. Whatever it is, it's either caused or allowed by the Lord. And, and he, he always does so. Somebody says, well, why did God allow sin to come into the world? Well, I'm not even going to go there and try to explain that or anything else. But why does that bother you? Why does it bother you that God allowed sin to come into the world? By the way. You wouldn't know anything about the love of God were it not for sin. You wouldn't know any more than the angels do. And they can shout all day long about the perfection of God, but they don't know anything about the love of God. They don't know anything about the grace of God, but you do. All because God lets sin come into the world. Don't ever, don't ever despise 
the fact that God cares enough about you to correct you. Then notice, he says, in addition to not despising what God does, he says, be not weary. Well, what does that mean? I love what one fellow said about it, and I jotted it down, and here's what he said. This is probably a hundred and some years ago. He said, some are swallowed up of overmuch sorrow. It overwhelms, stupefies, consumes them. They brood over every circumstance of the stroke which has befallen them and see it as the most aggrav- in the most aggravated light. I know people right now that's doing exactly that. Exactly as he's described there. Do you realize that puts us in great danger whenever we do that? When we grow weary of his correction, we despise his chastisement, we grow weary of his, of his correction, and we faint as a result. What does that mean? Well, it means basically we quit on God. We just throw in the towel. We give up. We faint. We fall by the wayside. We should never do that. Now, notice the purpose, verse 12, and I've got to really hurry, and in no way I'm going to get through with everything I'd like to say, but notice verse 12. For whom the Lord loveth, well, I, I told you he did, and you already knew that, right? For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. You know, God knows what we are. God knows what he wants us to become. And God knows how to get us there. God has a plan. You say, well, what's God's plan? Well, in one sense, it's the same for all of us, Romans eight twenty nine. God has already predestinated that we be conformed to the image of His Son. And that's why that in, in that process, sometimes He has to put us in the crucible, of, you know, of the fiery torment, as it were, and the suffering and the agony. Because God realizes that there are some things that can only be accomplished through, through pain and through suffering. So it's painful. Let's not kid ourselves. It's painful, but it's profitable. It's profitable. God tells us that. But notice, here's what makes it bearable. There's two words here, two words that ought to encourage you. Notice the word loveth and the word father. That's a reminder that whatever happened is either caused or allowed by our Father in heaven who loves us. Bad behavior. Let's go back to what I said earlier. Maybe the number one place where we as Christians tend to resent God's will is when it comes to giving. Now, if that, let's assume that's true. I don't know that it is, but let's assume it is. Then, it, then the number one reason for God chastising us would become what? The fact that we're not giving what God commanded, right? So our bad behavior, what? Well, it prompted God to correct us. Now, think with me. We're talking about somebody that is going under the rod. Is it worth somebody being corrected by the Lord? He said, now, don't you despise it and don't you grow weary. But we all know if there's ever a dangerous time in our life, it's when we're going through hardships. I've seen people over and over again that have been faithful members of the church for years. They were involved in everything under the sun. They were loving and kind and everything. Uh, You know, imagine just what you would want them to be. And you thought, boy, I'll tell you what, they are rock solid in 
all of a sudden they go through some very, very painful thing. And, and, and they respond to what God is doing in their life by despising it and feigning. Here some years ago, and boy, most 90% of you know who I'm talking about, and I'm not going to even get close to that. But some years ago, I mean, I, I, I witnessed that with someone that I love dearly that was a member of this church and boy, I mean, someone you could depend on, it, it, you know, it, the kind of person that, you know, if I did need something, you know, that would be one of the people that I'd go to and say, hey, you know, I, I, I need your help. Because I, I know they would do it and not gripe about it. And, and all of a sudden they went through a difficult stretch and they were gone. Now, I'm saying all of that for a reason. Our bad behavior gets us in trouble and causes God to take action to correct us. And please understand, when you despise what God's doing in your life like He doesn't know what He's doing, and you faint as a result of it, you know what you're doing? You're making it worse. I can remember my mom spanking me when I was a kid and didn't do any good. She said, well, your daddy get home, you know, and dad got home and he took off that big leather belt, you know, the ranger type belt, you know, and Kind of split out there on the end, and I mean, boy, when Dad started, and I'd try to be tough at first. Let me give you a good rule of thumb. Whenever you're talking about spanking your children, you spank them till it's hurting and they feel it. Somebody says, well, boy, you can't make my kid cry. You want to bet? You want to bet? You just don't have the guts to do it. That's what the problem is. Let me let, listen. Let me tell you: If you're going to spank them, do a good job. Stop that slapping, you know, on the hand, and and they look at you with defiance and and go on. Let me tell you: God's not playing games, folks. And we all, at some point in time, we all deserve to be chastised. And whenever God takes that action in my life, I'm going to get myself in a lot more trouble if I despise what He's doing and if I quit on Him. I'm, I'm going to really get myself in trouble. If you don't believe that, you don't believe it, just look back at the children of Israel when they were murmuring against God and against Moses. And as a result of their murmuring, they spent 40 years in misery out there in the wilderness. I mean, it was totally uncalled for. And it's uncalled for when you and I complain. I mean, think about it. God delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. And they began to hunger for the leek and the onion and the melon and the garlics back there in Egypt. Who in the world in their right mind would want to go back to Egypt? But here they are hungering after those things. The old flesh is lusting for those former things. And they forget about the cruel bondage. And now they're complaining and said, Oh, all we've got out here is this old manna to eat. Just like God didn't know what, you know, what to feed them. Let me tell you, when we start complaining about what God's doing, we're going to get in trouble. Just knowing God is our loving Father ought to be enough to keep us from ever despising anything He does. I sat down at the office late this evening, and I knew I was going to get to this point, and I knew I was going to make that statement, and, and I wrote down these words, think about it. Think about despising what God does. And here's what I wrote. 
he instructs us and warns us first. God's wise and God's loving. Now think about it. We've all been instructed. It's not like we don't know. We've got a Bible in our hands. We know God has given us instructions. God has warned us. I don't think any parent here has ever just, you know, given their kid a good spanking without, first of all, instructing them. Well, you know, I told you, don't, don't, please don't do that. That's wrong, you know. Don't do that. No, you tell them it's wrong, and then you warn them. If you do that, if you do that, there's going to be some consequences. And, and God works that way in our life. He doesn't just lose his temper and fly off the handle and, you know, give us a good beating. He gives us instruction and he warns us. Well, I didn't write all of that, but he instructs us and warns us. And then he tries other means to get our attention. I mean, I think he does. I, 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 I never whipped any of my kids unless they knew what it was for. And I think God's a better parent than I am. I think... You know, that God usually tries some other means to get our attention before, you know, heavy gets the blow. And, and not only that, but uh, he doesn't afflict without a reason. He's always got a reason, a good reason. And not only that, it's always out of love. It's always in wisdom. It's always for our good. And he always tempers the trial to the person. By that, I mean, you know, whenever we think about the refiner and, the, you know, he puts the ore in the fire and he knows exactly how much heat. He knows exactly how long to leave it there. God's not out to destroy you. He's out to transform you. And that's what it's all about. And, he, and look, he knows exactly what he's doing. But here, here's the last thing I'm going to say. He gives us the grace to bear it. I've often thought, you know, oh, dear God, if that ever happened, I don't think I could go through it. And then it happened, and I did, and it just proves the point that God's grace is sufficient. There's one more thing, and I'm, I'm not going to enlarge on it, and, but I want you to notice something that almost always gets totally overlooked, and that's that word delighteth, delighteth. God corrects those he loves. Why would he do that? Because it says, the son in whom he delighteth. God's not always pleased or always delighted with our ways, but he's delighted in you as his child. He's delighted to have you as his child. That ought to mean something to us. And so I want you to go home and think about that. God even if he's not delighted in your ways, God is delighted in you. God doesn't have any unwanted children. God doesn't have any mistreated children. He doesn't have any that he doesn't love. He's delighted in you. That's a thrill to my heart. Let's all stand together.